Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you all. Thank you so much for being here. Listen, if today's service has any impact on your soul or your life at all, like if you go home today thinking, man, I'm, like, I'm glad we went to church today. Um, the people responsible for that, you'll probably never meet or see at our church. We had a team that was here last night and then another team that was here before the sun came up when it was still like in the minus teens wind chill, throwing down salt, shoveling snow, um, vacuuming rugs, throwing out rugs, getting the place ready for you to hopefully have a, a slipping free day um, inside the building and outside the building. Um, so a lot of times the unsung heroes of journey are the people who make ministry possible. So will you just put your hands together and help me thank those guys who were here really, really early, freezing their tails off, getting it ready. If you, if you receive anything out of church today, they are the ones who need to receive the credit. And for those of you who are watching online, thanks for being with us from wherever you might be. Um, if you were blessed by today, like if you log off at the end of this service and think, man, like I'm really glad that we went to church online. Um, there are people running our cameras today. There are people in the back of house switching and making things look the way they're supposed to look. Like we are reliant, like the people on the stage, Jay and our worship team and me, we're relying on lots of people behind the scenes that you never see to make the ministry of journey go. So uh, for those of you who are on cameras, for those of you in the back room, for anyone who showed up early and is going to stay late on a really cold, icy, snowy Sunday, thank you for helping us get the new year started. Right. Just a few little matters of family business to handle before we dig in today. Next week, I begin a brand new series in the book of John called Maybe Jesus. And I want you not only to come, I want you to invite someone who maybe in 2022, Jesus can help them. We're going to look at the stories of three people who've been trying everything but Jesus to fix the things going on in their life. And they all have a moment where they come to Jesus and basically say, like, I've tried everything else. Maybe you can help. And coming to Jesus and saying, maybe you can help. Like, that's, that's a pretty good place to come because Jesus can help. If you know anyone in life, let me say it this way, who wants to have a better 2022 than 2021, we know that Jesus can probably help them. If they're planning to do that in some way other than Jesus, maybe Jesus is better. So on January 9, 16, and 23, we'll be in John 2, John 3, and John 5, meeting people who say, man, I've tried everything else. Maybe Jesus can help. If you know someone who needs the help of Jesus, bring them starting next week. And next Sunday night, for anyone who has children, infant through age 18, we're having our family ministry vision night. We've been waiting for this room to be done so we can hold you all together. We believe as a church the way that we disciple your children, your grandchildren, so that they might know who Jesus is, is by building a plan where the church and the family works together to help your kids follow Jesus. So if you've got kids or grandkids at our church, infant, through seniors in high school. We want you to come 6 to 7.30. If you serve in our family ministry, if you desire to serve in our family ministry, we will give you our discipleship plan for 2022 that says, here's what the church will do to help your son or daughter walk with Jesus. Here's how we'll help you, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt and uncle, help your kids and grandkids walk with Jesus. And together, we can have a really good year spiritually. So for those of you with kids, please come be a part of that night. I think it'll be a powerful part of your 2022 uh, discipleship plan for the kids and the grandkids in your life. If you have your Bibles today, 2 Samuel chapter 5 is where we're going to hang out. You can go ahead and turn there. If you didn't bring your Bible, no big deal. All the scripture I read will be on the screen behind me so that you can follow along. If you're kind of a Bible geek like me, go ahead and pull your notes out. I want to give you some numbers that are not on your sermon notes but that I find interesting just because the way that I think. Um, I'm going to give you three numbers. You can just kind of write them on the right-hand column of your notes, and then I'll come back and tell you what they mean. 1,189, that's the first number, 1189. 929, 929 is the second number, 42 
is the last number. Say, what do those numbers represent? There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. In the 66 books of the Bible, 1,189 chapters. 929 of those are in the Old Testament. 78% of the Bible is between Genesis chapter 1 and Malachi chapter 5. Of those 929 chapters, only 42 are really positive. They form kind of the mountaintop of things going well in the Old Testament. It's less than 5% of the Old Testament scripture. And it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16 through 1 Kings chapter 2. It's a story of a kid named David who becomes a king named David over a nation named Israel. In these 42 chapters, really everything in the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to 1 Samuel 16 builds towards 1 Samuel 16. The whole world's looking for someone like David. And then everything from 1 Kings chapter 2 all the way through Malachi chapter 5 is lamenting that they have not found someone else like David. So these 42 chapters, like if you could see the Old Testament like a mountain, these 42 chapters are at the peak. It's the only time where things go really, really good. It's the golden age of Israeli biblical history. And right in the middle of those 42 chapters, like the plateau on top of the mountain, chapters 21, 22, and 23 of the 42 are 2 Samuel chapter 5, 6, and 7. They are the pinnacle of things going well in the Old Testament. And when we look at God moving and establishing his kingdom, those are the three chapters right in the middle of 42 that we want to hone in on so we can learn what it looks like to be a part of the movement of God and the kingdom of God. Let me walk you to 2 Samuel chapter 5 where we're going to read today just so you can kind of catch up. In 1 Samuel 16, a prophet named Samuel finds a young shepherd named David and he anoints him and he says, you're going to be the next king of Israel because you have a heart for God. In 1 Samuel 17, he goes to meet his brothers who are at war and he kills a giant named Goliath and he becomes the military leader and hero of Israel. For the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 18 through 31, he leads the armies of Israel but then is exiled from Israel because the army wants to follow him and not the king of Israel named Saul, so Saul's trying to kill him. In 1 Samuel 31, Saul dies. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, there were 12 states, basically. They were called tribes. But if you think of 13 colonies in American history, there were 12 states in Israel. Two of those states, Judah and Benjamin, came to David and said, you be our king. The other 10 said, we're going to let Saul's relatives become king. So in, in 2 Samuel 1 through 4, there's like civil war for seven years between David and Saul's relatives. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, finally, the other 10 states come and say, hey, be our king too. So what was promised in 1 Samuel 16, you're going to be the king of all of Israel, has finally happened in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And they have attacked and conquered a Jebusite city named Jerusalem. So finally, God's king with God's heart is reigning from God's city, and he's getting ready to launch the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to read today. We're going to pick up the narrative right there. Now, before we ever read scripture at our church, we always pray and just ask God to speak to our heart through his words. Would you just bow your heads with me quickly? Take a deep breath to just set your spirit into this moment here and those of you at home and pray this today. Ask God to speak to your heart and to reveal to you what you need to hear in 2022 to make this year about Jesus. God, that's our prayer that today you'll speak to our hearts and we might hear something in this service on January 2nd that will make the last... 363 days of this year more about Jesus than last year was. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Second Samuel chapter five, we're gonna pick up in verse 17. God's man with God's heart in God's city leading God's country to develop God's kingdom. Here's what it says. When the Philistines 
heard that David had been anointed king over Israel. They went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal Perazim and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there and David and his men carried them off. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord and he answered, don't go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him. He struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So David's story has come full circle in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Because he's in the exact same place fighting the exact same enemies for the exact same purpose. He's trying to find a home for his people. For those of you who have been to Israel with me, you've spent a lot of time in the Valley of Rephaim because it literally stretches from Ben-Gurion Airport where we land and take off to Jerusalem on Highway 1. We drive up and down it. It's also known as the Ayalon Valley where Joshua once told the sun to stand still. So if you've been to Israel with me, you've been on this page of Scripture. And David goes to figure out, God, are you finally going to help us establish a home? In 2 Samuel chapter 5, David's 37 years old. He's 20 years past the 16, 17-year-old kid who killed Goliath. And he's asking God, God, now is it time for you to establish a home for us so that we can really lean into building your kingdom. As I look at where Journey is and the people of Journey in 2022 as we begin a new year, I find us kind of in the story of David. I see us having moved into a new home, now asking the question like, God, how do we use this home to build your kingdom? And as we kind of move through 2 Samuel 5, 6, and 7, I think we're going to see four things about David and his story that apply to us personally and then corporately as a congregation that will help us use this home to accomplish the mission of God, to build the kingdom of God in our community. I think there's some interesting lessons to learn for our church and for us all individually. What are those lessons? There's four of them. The first is this. Jerusalem was a home given to David for battles, not from battles. This was not some place that God gave to David so that he wouldn't have to go to war anymore. Jerusalem was a walled city that was a Jebusite fortress. It was a city built for a king who every morning got up and went to war and needed someplace safe to sleep. That's what Jerusalem was. That's why the Jebusites built it. So that the person who lived there every day could do battle and then have some place to sleep at night. It wasn't a place where you went when the battles were over. It was a place you went so that you could do battle. And it's a really interesting place. If you go to Jerusalem today, you're going to go to a place that is emblazoned with the phrase, the city of David. But 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, it wasn't the city of David. It was a Jebusite city. And David is one of the most influential yet non-found person in all of antiquity. Say, what, about, what do you mean by that, Christian? David has more influence than probably Jesus, than anyone in Israelite history on the world spiritually, yet you can't find him in ancient history. Say, what do you mean by that? David was not a guy who ever stamped his name on a coin. If he did, we've never found it. 
David was not somebody who wrote his name on a bunch of parchments. If he did, we never found it. David was not somebody whose name was put on a bunch of pottery. If it was, we never found it. And David was not someone who built a bunch of settlements and said, these are the settlements of David. If he has, we haven't found those for a long time in antiquity. Nobody believed that David existed because we really couldn't even find him. But that's because David wasn't building things. David was conquering things. David lived in and used things that other people had built and that other people had put their names on. And you say, why? To put it another way, you could say this. David literally could care less about building his name because he was concerned about building God's kingdom. David wasn't thinking, print a coin and put my name on it. Put my name on that pillar. Make sure you call this the city of David. David had very little concern for his name. He had a lot of concern for God's kingdom. So he was more about building God's kingdom than building God's name. And I hope that Journey is a church that's just like David. I hope we have a church that's filled with people who care way more about building God's kingdom than Journey Church. Actually, let me ask the question. As you sit here today, do you think it's more important to build Journey Church or God's kingdom? God's kingdom. You did so much better at that than the 845. Like I was unsure if anyone cared about God's kingdom in 845 because they were either still a little sleepy or they just didn't care about it. Like we're here because we want to build God's kingdom. And I'm glad you answered that way because it tells me that you are ready for battle. Like David was ready for battle, we're going to have to be ready for battle if we want to build God's kingdom. One of my Christmas presents was a book Daniel got me by one of my favorite authors, John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland who I love to read. I think God's given him a brilliant mind for the generation that we live in. And he talks in here about the three major shifts going on in Christianity in America as we move through the 2020 centuries. The first major shift is this. Christianity really is moving from a majority culture to a minority culture, very specifically in the cognitive minority. Say, what is a cognitive minority? It's a phrase that people who study cultures use to basically say the cognitive minority are people who think, believe, and value different things than the majority of the host culture where they live. And Comer said people who have a biblical worldview who have biblical values and who think Jesus is the answer are now the minority in our country, not the majority. That's a shift that we're living through. The second shift, he said, is the shift of Christianity and things of Christianity moving from a place of honor to a place of shame. If you go visit Washington, D.C., or you go visit any of the cities on the East Coast that were built in the early founding of America, you'll find in every monument on Washington, D.C., and almost every major building built along the East Coast on the founding of our country, Scripture emblazoned on the walls or the foundations or the roofs or built into the parapets of buildings. If you tried to use publicly funded money today to put Bible verses on the walls of the things that they're building. Just let me know how that goes. Like, I'd love to hear the story after you're done trying to do that. Because years ago, even people who were not Jesus followers held scripture and the things of God in tremendous honor. So much so that they would put it on everything. Today, people who believe scripture and what scripture says are being shamed and we're trying to be put in a corner. And that's the third major shift, that Christianity really is moving from widespread tolerance of us to open hostility towards us. He said, it used to be that people looked at Christians who believe the Bible and said they're intolerant, but they're all grandmas and Boy Scouts, so who cares? Now they're looking at people who believe what the Bible says, and they're not saying they're intolerant. They're saying they're dangerous, and we got to figure out how to stop them. 
Christianity is moving from a place of widespread, we'll put up with you, to strong hostility, we got to figure out how to quiet you down. And I think those of us who just have tried to feel the pulse of our country a little bit would say, that actually sounds about right. Maybe the most alarming statistic that comes out of that book, George Barna just did some research on Christians, and he found that young adult Christians, Christians under the age of 30, when they describe themselves and their commitment to Jesus, only 10% say they are resilient disciples, which is categorized this way. I'm still willing to follow Jesus, even if not everyone agrees with me or they make it hard on me. Only 10% of people under the age of 30 say, I will be a resilient disciple, even in the face of opposition. Journey, that means we have to be a church that's ready for battle. Now, when I hear those statistics, it makes me really glad that our college ministry today has 40 kids in Atlanta, Georgia, going to the Passion Conference, the largest gathering of college students in America. There'll be more than 100,000 people there. This morning, in fact, they're at Hope Church, Johns Creek, a church church we helped plant in August. They're all there this morning serving. And for two or three days, they're going to have their souls poured into it. And my prayer for them has been that they'll be resilient disciples, that they'll come back who are followers for Jesus, even though they're in the minority culture, even though people try to make them ashamed for what they believe, even though people are hostile towards what they say they believe is true. My, My prayer is that God will give us some resilient disciples. Amen? So like we have to be a church that doesn't just stay ready but gets the next generation ready or the church is going to be a shrinking church in America as we go through the next few decades. When Pastor Daniel Floyd was here for our building dedication, he, you know, he, he mentioned our beautiful building that we have and he said you have to make sure as a church that you don't see this building as a cruise ship. You know, so many Christians look at church as a Christian country club. Build us nice stuff, nice chairs, nice coffee shop. Let's have a posh place for us to come hang out and be Christians together. And he said, you got to make sure that this place never becomes a cruise ship. you got to make sure this place remains a battleship. you got to make sure this place is a place that's continue to willing, continually willing to do battle with the culture. But I believe there's even kind of a middle ground to that analogy. There's a pastor in uh, Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina named J.D. Greer, who pastors the Summit Church, who years ago wrote a book called Gaining by Losing, which is a story of basically churches sending out people. Instead of churches trying to grow big, churches trying to grow small by starting new churches. And he said most churches are either a cruise ship, a Christian country club, or a battleship that just hates everyone who doesn't come to their church. And they're either trying to make everything comfortable for Christians or they're just trying to kill their neighbors. And he said a better picture of a healthy church is an aircraft carrier. It's a place where Christians come to refuel where they're empty. It's a place where Christians come to resupply when they need help. It's a place where Christians come to strategize. He said the best picture of a church is an aircraft carrier where people come to get ready, but then they leave to do the mission. And they're not just trying to kill the enemy. They're trying to live among the enemy, but to fulfill the mission of the master. Listen, journey needs to become an aircraft carrier in our city. We need to be a place where you come to learn your mission, to refuel when you're out of gas, to resupply when you don't know what to do, to strategize when you're not sure how to face a battle. We need you to come to church for the sole purpose of leaving to do the mission of Jesus. 
For those of you who had a chance to watch our interview on December 26th with Ryan Lefevre, my favorite part of the interview was when Ryan talked about going to growth track week two, and he said, I realized kind of how I'm shaped, that God made me really, really high on hospitality, kind of really low on evangelism, but kind of like I figured out how God had shaped me. I think the most important week of our growth track ministry is week two, because it's the week where you learn how you're shaped and what you're supposed to do spiritually. It's the week where you basically come in You receive your mission. Here's what God created you to do. Here's how you're supposed to do it. And then you leave and you do your mission. If you're a part of our church and you've not been to week two of Growth Track yet, like you got to go next week, next week during the 1030 service, second Sunday of the month, you need to go and get your mission orders to figure out who God created you to be so that you can leave and not let people know about journey, but let people know about Jesus. Amen. We're not trying to stamp our name on coins. We're trying to stamp Jesus' names on coins. So long after we're gone, they turn over a coin and maybe figure out who Jesus is. So we learn from David. Sometimes a new home is not rest from the battles, but it's preparation for the battles. The second thing we learn about David as we continue in our outline is his first battle in the city was his final battle for home. He finally got his stronghold. And there were still battles to fight. So he's like, God, we got Jerusalem, but we still got battles. What do we do? And God said, here's your marching orders. In verse 23, it says, David inquired of the Lord, God, what do we do? And God answered, don't go straight up, but circle behind the Philistines and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly. Because that'll mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. Here was God's direction, pretty clear. Get in position and then wait for me to move. That's what God told David to do. Here are your marching orders. Get in position, and then wait for me to move. Because when you're ready, I'm ready. Some of you today are trying to figure out why God's not moving in your life yet, and it's because you're not in position. Like he's told you, you get in position, and then I'll move. And you're like, why aren't you moving? God's like, why aren't you in position? Get in position, and I'll move. These orders were not unique to David and his men. It's the exact same thing God told Noah when he built the ark. He told his family, you and your family go in the ark, and I will do what I do when you are safe. And after seven days in the ark, God sent his reign and his judgment, but he spared Noah and his family. It's the exact same thing he told Moses when Moses and the people of Israel had the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them, and they were like, God, what do we do? And God's like, nothing, just stand still. Get in position. Let me do what I do. In 2 Chronicles 20, we meet a Judean king named Jehoshaphat who was fighting the nation of Edom who resided just on the other side of the Dead Sea, but they had crossed the Dead Sea and they were in a community called En Gedi, 10 miles from Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat's like, what are we going to do? And God's like, nothing. Get in position and then just stay still and let me fight the battle. Like these were often God's orders. Get in position, hold still, Wait for me to move, and then when I move, you move. For those of you, and we have some military members in the crowd today. We have some law enforcement officers in the crowd today. We have some people who, like, have gotten ready for a big game in the crowd today. Like, you know how hard it is to be amped up and ready to go and then be forced to wait. But that, like, that's what God told the people of Israel to do. Interesting, he said, go behind the poplar trees. Poplar trees in the Middle East are fascinating because they're shaped like evergreens, but they have like deciduous leaves, like leaves that will fall off. There's your botany lesson for the day. You're welcome. Um, But like these would be great trees, especially if you have acres and acres and acres of them, not only to hide, but these would be great trees to be able to hear God blowing through the leaves. 
So God said, here's what I want you to do. Go hide among the trees and just wait. You can imagine these soldiers, right, with like sweat dripping down their brow. Some of them, like, like me, when they're nervous, probably like their foot was bouncing like a mile a minute. They probably hadn't eaten breakfast because they had a nervous stomach. Like they're just like, is it time now? Is it time now? Is it time now? And they begin to hear the sound of God in the trees. And God's like, go. And you can see this Philistine army not knowing what's happening. And this army pours out of the trees. But they're following the movement of God. Now, I don't know about you. But I feel like the last three and a half years, God has told me and the staff of our church and a lot of the leaders of our church, you just need to like stand down. And then when I move, you move. Because about three and a half years ago, we started designing this building and we knew we needed it then, not now. But God was like, you're just going to have to wait. You're just going to have to wait. And then when I move, you're going to move. And then in 2020, literally, we, st- we not only stood down, we stood still. It was like, you're going to quit having church for 13 weeks. And then when you come back, a lot of your congregation is not going to come back for years. Like, I never felt like I stood still more in ministry than 2020 and 2021. Yet the entire time, God was moving. We felt like we were standing still, but God was moving. Our ministry core beliefs that we have, the things that we said, if these aren't happening, we'll shut our church down because it's not working. One of them is sharing Jesus. Like we believe our church is supposed to share Jesus. In 2020 and 2021, like while we felt like we were standing down, more than a thousand people made and acknowledged spiritual decisions and nearly 200 of those were baptized. In a year, we felt like we were forced to stand still. God was moving. In the area of spiritual growth, another one of our core beliefs, knowing that we want to be a church that makes disciples who make disciples. While we felt like we were standing down because people really couldn't meet a lot, God gave us a vision for a discipleship plan called Discipleship Tracks where over four years people could fall in love with Jesus and learn how to use the Bible and learn how to apply it to their life and then learn how to disciple other people. More than 800 adults just last semester enrolled in and began walking through the discipleship track to become disciples who make disciples. Like while we felt like we've been put in a corner and forced to stand still, God was moving. In the area of community impact, we used to go to people and serve them. And then in COVID, we couldn't. Literally, our ministry partner said, no, 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 you can't come. So we said, how are we going to serve our community if we can't come to them? And we said, maybe we can invite them to us. And Sherry, I remember when you said, we're going to feed our community lunch every Monday. They're going to drop off food. And then I remember seeing it the first time. I was like, holy cow, what have we done? There was just food everywhere in our church. And then an hour later, it was all gone. And every Monday, week after week after week, the community came to us because we couldn't go to them. And at some point, Sherry birthed in her mind this thought of the Impact Center. We don't just have to do this on Monday. We could have a place where every day the community could come to us if we can't go to them. We felt like we'd been forced to stand down, but God was moving. In the area of global impact, we couldn't travel overseas to do mission trip. Somehow we managed to be in Israel and Guatemala twice. We managed to finish our total village transformation in Lesidras, Guatemala. We managed to adopt a second village in Guatemala. Like somehow while we felt like we were forced to stand down, God was moving in the tops of the trees. In the area of generosity, You've already seen our kids today. We helped launch a church in Atlanta, Georgia last August, Hope Creek John's Church in Northeast Atlanta. We also partnered with a brand new church that will be launching in Edinburgh, Scotland in 2023, the least churched city in Europe. 
Our church is going to be a founding member of helping launch a church that will launch churches. By the way, those of you upper high school students and college students, one of their strategies is trying to figure out how to get American students to study for a semester at Edinburgh University. They've already connected with Edinburgh, and they said, we'll take basically any American that you can get. They'll house you and help you reach students on that campus and tell them about Jesus. Like, we're going to be a church that, like, while we felt like we were standing down, God was moving. In the area of multiplication, we felt like, man, it feels like week after week that not a lot of people were coming. We ended up being one of the less than 5% of churches in America who had more people coming after COVID in person than they had coming before COVID in person. 95% of churches to this day still don't have as many people coming to their church as they did before COVID. And I'm not talking about the new building. I'm talking about November and the first two Sundays of December when we were in the old building. We were one of the less than 5% of the churches in the country who had more people coming after COVID than they did before COVID. You say, Christian, how's that even possible? Only God. God was moving. The question is, do you hear it enough to move with him? Because that's God's plan. When you see God move, you move. And set up a spiritual stronghold so that others might know who he is. And that's what we want our church to be. We want our church to be a spiritual refuge for tired people in our community. We want our church to be a spiritual stronghold in our community for people who are battered. We want our church to be a spiritual hospital in our community for people who are sick. We want our church to be a spiritual light in our community for people who have lost hope. Our church, because God is moving, needs to become a spiritual stronghold, just like David's spiritual stronghold was. It's why we're calling 2022 at Journey a year of come and see. It's a year where we want to invite hurting people in our community to come see Jesus to see if they can be helped by him. We're going to have about 10 come and see Sundays this year. The first will be Sunday, January 30th, where we'll invite a family in, Andy and Linda Barrick and their two kids, who 17 years ago were run over by a drunk driver on a way home from church. Literally on a Sunday night on the way home from church, a guy in a Suburban with his lights off fleeing the police ran over their minivan at 82 miles an hour. When you see the pictures on January 30th, the minivan literally looks like a convertible. The top of it is gone. The family was life-flighted to four different hospitals. None of them were expected to survive. All of them did. Their daughter with a traumatic brain injury that has impacted her to this day. And as I talked to Andy, and I said, Andy, like, what's the story that you tell? Andy said this. He said, Christian, none of us should have survived. And he said, as I laid in the hospital weeks after, and we all had a months-long journey, my daughter now more than a decade, as I watched, like, God, why did you leave us here? He said, I felt like the Lord spoke this to my heart. Andy, everyone in life has something that runs over them. I've left you here so you can tell them that with Jesus, they can get up. Everyone in life from time to time gets run over. Your story now is going to be telling people with Jesus, they can get up. See, on January 30th, I'm not asking you to invite your neighbor, not asking you to invite a family member, not asking you to invite your best friend. I'm asking you to invite somebody who you've seen get run over by life in the last few years who's not been able to get up to hear the story of hope of somebody saying we got run over but through jesus like we got up with hope it's been hard it's been hard every day as we interview their now 30 year old daughter and you see what life looks like living with a traumatic brain injury for 16 or 17 years we'll cry we'll laugh but maybe maybe the people in our life who have lost hope because of what ran over them, 
We'll find it again in Jesus. That's what it means to fight spiritual battles as a stronghold where you believe you can help people. And that's what we believe our church is being called to do in 2022. I want you to know this morning as I prayed, I prayed for the people in your lives who I don't know, but you do, who've been run over by something, that you would see them, that you would invite them, and that they would find hope in Jesus. I've started praying that, and I'll pray that nearly every day this month, that the people in your life who you've seen be flattened by something will be people that you see reach out to, and maybe, maybe they'll begin their journey back towards hope in 2022 because they meet Jesus. So David's first battle in his city was his final battle for home. But as he got his home ready, he had to get his heart ready. See, number three, David had to learn how to follow God and put God in the center of his life, but he had to learn how to do that God's way. Somebody say God's way. David had to learn how to have God in the center of his life, but he had to learn how to have God in the center of his life, God's way, not his way. The next line I throw on the screen is going to be the most important line of the message for some of you in here because here's an important differentiation to to make as we process our relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we can celebrate what God is doing for us more than we can celebrate what God is doing in us. And that was David's story in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 6. And the danger of celebrating what God is doing for you rather than what God is doing in you is as soon as God stops doing for you, you stop celebrating God. As soon as God stops doing for someone close to you, you stop celebrating God. As soon as it's what God does for us rather than what God does in us, boy, God, like God better keep doing a bunch or he might not be in us at all. And it's interesting. We read a really interesting story because as David rolls out of 2 Samuel chapter 5, The Ark of the Covenant that maybe you've seen in Indiana Jones that in Scripture represented the physical presence of God was several dozen miles away from Jerusalem. And David made this statement. He's like, you know, God's done so much for us. We ought to bring the Ark into Jerusalem. I mean, he gave us the city. We should bring him here. And he convinced a group of his friends to go get God's Ark to celebrate what God had done for them. But there were very specific restrictions on how you were allowed to move God's ark in a way that would honor and worship him. And David and his friends ignored all of those. David basically said, like, I'm going to do the God thing, but I'm going to do it my way. And he had a bunch of friends that were like, I'm going to do the God thing, but I'm going to do it my way. And it went terribly wrong. As a matter of fact, one of his friends ended up dying. And because David was in a posture of worshiping God for what God had done for him rather than what God had done in him, when it felt like God had turned against him and people close to him, he really contemplated for a while whether he wanted anything to do with God or not. And he said this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I show you this verse because, let me say this, some of you are living here and it's okay. We all pass through this place. The goal is not to stay there. So David has a friend doing spiritual life his own way, and it doesn't work for him. And God takes him out, and David says, I just don't know that I want to follow a God who doesn't do what I need when I need it. And it says David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Yuzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Yuzah, which means God was he felt like God was against Yuzah. David was afraid of the Lord. That day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And he wasn't willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. I'm going to like freeze this on the screen for a minute because I want you to see these three lines because some of you, that's your story today. 
Like something has happened to you or someone close to you where there is no answer for why God did or allowed to happen what happened and you're angry. And it's okay. It's okay to walk through that emotion, but you can't stay there. Some of you are afraid of what it might mean to trust God again after he allowed to happen to you what happened. You just don't know that you can go there anymore. You just don't know that you can live free. You just don't know that you can let the kids drive away to college. You just don't know that you're not going to get sick every time you walk out of the house. Like whatever happened to you has frozen you in fear. And it, like it's okay. But you can't stay there. And some of you have determined like David, you're not willing. If this is the way God works, you're not willing to have God in your house, in your heart, part of your story. David wrestled through this season of anger and fear of not being willing to connect to God for 90 days. And some of you have been there 90 days. Some of you have been there 90 weeks, been years. It's okay to like live through this pain, but like you can't, you can't stay there because you may be ignoring what God could have been doing in you and through you because you're so focused on what God did not do for you or someone who was really, really close to you. And I say it as sensitively as I can, knowing the pain, the very real pain, some real people that I have relationships with in the room go through when I even talk about this. But we can't get to a point like David where we're like, God, I'm going to do, do you my way. If that's not good enough, I'm out. Or God, I've got friends that like, they want to do you their way. And God, if that's not good enough like, for you, like I'm out. Like We've got to learn to do God his way to put him at the center because that's the only way that it works for us. It's really easy to get caught up in what God's doing for you rather than what God's doing in you. I I feared that for our staff heading into this building process. I knew that this building could be what God did for us rather than what God did in us. So in our October team meeting with our staff, I asked our staff for a period of 50 days to get in accountability groups of two or three people. And I asked our team from the middle of October through the end of November to spend 50 days in the word and prayer every day and not miss. Because I said, guys, we're getting ready to move through a season that's going to swallow us with the building project. And I want to make sure your faith and your faith story is not all about moving into a building. Like it's got to be about spending time with Jesus. So I paired my staff up in groups of two and three. And I said, for these 50 days, We're going to spend time with Jesus and in prayer. We're going to hold each other accountable because like it's more important what God's doing in us than what God's doing for us. We got to the end of that 50 days at the end of November and I felt like God told me specifically as I was like celebrating, I felt like God said, I want you to go through the end of the year because I'm a little bit ADD, ADHD, OCD, just because my mind works weird. Like the first thing I did was math. When I felt like God say, I want you to go like through the end of the year, I was like 50 plus 31. Like God, that's 81 days. Like the first thing I did was the math. I was like, that's 81 days. And God's like, yeah. 80 is a good number. And my heart immediately went to Moses on the mountain with God. Because there was a time when Moses spent 80 days on the mountain with God. 40 days. Then he came down the mountain, broke the Ten Commandments, did some crazy stuff with some golden calves. Then he went back up for 40 more days. And on the end of the 80th day when he came back down, it said his face shone so brightly that he had to wear a veil. Because like what God had done in his life was so crazy that like everybody had recognized it. And I thought, man, after 40 days... Moses hadn't changed, but after 80, he was a different person and everyone knew it. You say, how do I know if I'm spending time with God for what he's doing in me rather than what he's doing for me? Listen, you haven't spent enough time with God until everyone recognizes it. Because when you spend enough time with God on the mountain, 
eventually everyone will see that you look different. It'll be clear to everyone. You're a different person. You talk different. You act different. You care different. You love different. Like, you've not really spent enough time with God until everybody recognizes that you're different. You say, I don't know that I did that in 2021. Do it in 2022. Some of you say, I did do that in 2021. Am am I done? Like, people talk to me like, man, you're different. What happened to you? It's like, I found Jesus and I went to church. Like, Like, if people recognize something is different, am I done? No, you're not done. Because until you look just like Jesus, you're not done spending time with God. Two really powerful points in your personal faith walk this year. You've probably not spent enough time with God unless everyone recognizes it. And you're never done spending time with God until you're just like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet, which means I need to spend more time with God so I can become just like Jesus. God wants to be at the center of your life, but that only happens when you do life his way, not the way you want him to be at the center. Get in scripture every day. Spend time in prayer. Become a part of your church. Find your mission. Serve on mission in the community. Care more about what God's doing in you than what God's done for you. Because when we do all those things, we end up like David, who, number four, the end of David's story is he asks the wrong question, but it helps him get to the right perspective. And I think a lot of times when we think about living on mission for Jesus, we ask this same question and we need this same perspective. So here's the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David finally decides after 90 days, I'm willing to do it God's way. And he brings God into Jerusalem through the Ark of the Covenant. He experiences massive blessing. One day he's sitting in his house and it says he, like, he heard the, t- the, the tent that the Ark was in kind of flapping in the winds. And he called his like personal prophet, his mentor, his pastor, a guy by the name of Nathan. And he was like, I live in this beautiful house. The ark of God lives in the tent. We should build God a house too. Like, don't you think that'd be a great idea? And Nathan's like, that's a phenomenal idea. Build a house for God. Nathan goes home. And in his quiet time that night, God's like, no, no, no. I don't want David to build me a house. David is a man of war. David has blood on his hands. My temple cannot be associated with a man who has blood on his hands. So his son named Solomon which in the Hebrew is Shalomon, man of peace. Your son Solomon, a man of peace, will build my house because I come to bring peace. My son will be known as the prince of peace, like I come to bring shalom. So your shalom son is going is to build my house, not you. But he said, I'm really impressed with your heart. So he said, David, here's what I'm going to do for you. You're not going to build me a physical house, but I'm going to build you a spiritual house. And not only is Solomon, your son, going to become king of Israel, but like your family will never not have anyone sit on the throne of Israel. And one day the Messiah, the savior of the world will come from your line and people will call him the son of David. Like your heart has so impressed me that I I can't let you build me a physical house, but I will build you a legacy, an enduring legacy. And David goes before God and prays one of my favorite prayers in scripture. In 2 Samuel 7, 18, it says, David went in, sat before the Lord and he said, who am I? Sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you've brought me this far? David's like, God, I hear you talking about these things you want to do for me. Like, who am I that you would want to do these things for me? And he ends up having this conversation with God. Who am I is a great question of humility as we view ourselves through the love of God. It's a terrible question of fear when we see ourselves on mission for God. See, when we look at God and we realize he loves us, who am I is a great question. God, who am I that you would love me? But when God says, I want you to go live on mission for me, and we say, who am I? We're questioning God, and we're really saying, I'd rather not do that. 
So it's interesting because David and God and Nathan and God have this conversation that I just call some God thoughts that they unpack in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that I want to just kind of paraphrase for you before we close today. One, like David's like, I want to build you a house. And God says, I don't need a house. I'll use a house, but I don't need a house. I feel like God's saying the same thing to our church. I don't need all this to use our church. Over the last 11 years, thousands of people made spiritual decisions. Nearly a thousand baptized. We've given away, like, Journey doesn't need this to be impactful, but I'll use it. God's like, yeah, you build it, I'll use it. I don't need it, but I'll use it. God also said, who am I is the wrong question, but who I am is the right perspective. See, years earlier, God had introduced himself to Moses in a burning bush when Moses said, what's your name? God said, I am who I am. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. God told David, you're looking at your life and what I want to do with you through the perspective of who you are. Stop. Look at it through the perspective of who I am. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. I can't do this through you unless I do it for me. So who am I is the wrong... When it comes to living on mission, who am I? God, don't think I can do that. Wrong question. The question is who God is allows us to do what God has called us to do. And then we learn God says, I'm going to do what I want to do through you because I want the world to know about me. So who am I? Wrong question. Who I am? Right perspective. Because who I am is someone the whole world should know about. So David wraps up his prayer in verses 25 and 26 by saying this. Now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you've made concerning your servant in his house. Do as you promise so that your name will be great forever. God, use me so people know you. God, use me so people know you. Then people will say the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. Not David is king over Israel, but the Lord is God over Israel. You know, David would birth through his reign and just through his life as a God follower, the worship movement that we're a part of today. Basically singing songs of praise, singing prayers, setting spiritual truth to music so that you remember it better. Like David's the guy who started all of that. And he birthed a whole group of temple workers whose job was just to sing music every day at the temple so that people could celebrate who God was, remember what God was doing, and just praise God for who he was. Those groups of people wrote a lot of scripture in the Old Testament that we have in the book of Psalms. And one of my favorite Psalms that they wrote is Psalm 84. And one of my favorite verses is verse 10, because here's what these worshipers said in Psalm 84, 10. They said, better's one day, God, in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, this phrase, doorkeeper, that's an official job. When you really understand a little bit of the Old Testament, they're basically saying, I want to be, I want to have the job of being a doorkeeper at the temple. Say, what was a doorkeeper at the temple? Security guard. Literally, there was a group of Levites who were security guards, and their job was to sleep in 24-hour shifts at the temple. They would all sleep in front of a doorway. Their job was to sleep there so that all of the tithes and offerings that had been given to the temple would be secure, and so that nobody would get inside who wasn't supposed to be there and violate the holiness of God. So their job was to protect the ministry of the temple and, in the morning, to unlock the door so that everyone could come and experience God. And the psalmist that David birthed basically said this, God, here's how I want to live my life. I want to live my life protecting what you've given me spiritually and opening it up so that everyone else can have it too. Journey, I'm praying that the call of our church in 2022 will be to be doorkeepers in the house of God. 
that we will protect what Jesus has done in our life by putting him at the center his way and that we will believe God has given us all the key to open up the doors of the temple so that people who have not been here yet can come and experience God. We've got an incredible opportunity to do that on January 9th, grand opening next week. Please don't come alone. Bring someone with you. Meet them at the door. Help them check their kids in. But then on January 30th, we have lots of people in our community who've been run over by life. What if we can give them hope? See, doorkeepers say, I'm going to protect what Jesus has done in my life. But like I'm going to realize I've got the key to somebody else coming into the temple and experiencing God. Journey, this is our year to invite hurting people to come find hope. Our year to be a spiritual stronghold. Our year to be a spiritual refuge. Our year to be a spiritual hospital. Our year to give spiritual hope. But only if we see ourselves as doorkeepers. So what has God said to you today? And how do you need to respond to make 2022 more about Jesus? Would you pray with me as we consider those questions? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. Jesus, thank you for speaking to us through your word today, showing us a little bit of our story through David's story. Paul wrote that all of the Old Testament was written for us as an example of what we were supposed to do in our life in similar situations. So, Lord, you've taught us a lot today. Thank you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but hearts are open. If you're a follower of Jesus, is he in the center of your life? Or did you do 2021 your way spiritually instead of his way? your timetable spiritually instead of his timetable. Hear the call of Jesus to come back to him and re-engage this year. If you're here and you're angry, you're afraid, you're just not sure you're willing to trust God again, that's okay. David, who had a heart for God, went through that season. Keep fighting. If we can help you, let us know. Keep fighting. Keep talking to God. Keep pushing through. Don't quit. And if you're here today and you know someone who's hurting, be their doorkeeper. You know someone who's been run over by life? Be their doorkeeper. Open the doors of the church. Invite them in to hear about the hope of Jesus. If you know someone like that, just pray for them. Just right now, right, like right where you are, just say a prayer that God would allow you to help them get back up after they've been run over. If you're one of those people, could I pray for you right now? God, for the men and women, teenagers, children, sitting in this room and watching online right now who've been run over by something in life. Would you allow their heart to beat again? Would you allow their soul to trust again? Would you allow them to turn inward and say, okay, what, what's God trying to do in me? So this thing done around me, one day for someone has some value. God, would you wrap your arms around those who are hurting, who can't get up because life knocked them down? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the simple message of the gospel is God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to live for you and die on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven. If you've never connected to the God of heaven through Jesus, you can do that this morning by just saying a simple prayer and receiving him as your savior and as your spiritual leader. If you feel like God's calling you to that today, but you've never done it, 
I'll pray a little prayer. You can repeat after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. Don't even have to move your lips. Just from your heart to heaven, you can pray something like this. If you need to connect to the God of heaven through Jesus, would you just pray something like this? Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me. Jesus, I need you. So today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to believe it and receive it. Today I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me of my past, to begin to heal me of my hurts, and to lead me into my future. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Today I commit to following you. If you just prayed that prayer in just a second, I'd love to let you know how you can tell us so that we can begin to help you as you move forward on your spiritual journey. Lord, for the rest of us, let Jesus be at the center of our lives as we move forward. Thank you for this place you've given us for our battles, not from them. Thank you for this place you've given us as a spiritual stronghold. And God, help us to do life your way so we can experience all of you. And be doorkeepers so that our community might know you. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, just a few things before we go watch the Chiefs beat the Bengals in Jesus' name. Amen. That always gets a louder amen than anything I say about Jesus. I just want you to know I'm praying about that whatever that means. Um, If you made a spiritual decision today and the seat pocket in front of you or near you is going to be this little connection card. If you're watching online, if you just text the word journey to 474747, this will come up on your phone. You just open it up. Please let us know. Fill out the little box that says today I prayed to become a Christian and recommitted my life to Jesus. Take it to our connection center. Hand it to someone there and just say, hey, I prayed with Pastor Christian. Um, They'd love to give you a bag of resources and figure out how we could serve you. Also remember this, don't miss this. If you're a visiting family with us today, you have an opportunity to make an impact. If you'll fill out your connection card, take it to the Connection Center, we'll make a $10 donation in your name to the Hope Center in downtown Kansas City that's mentoring, discipling, and offering leadership training to kids in the urban core. So don't miss an opportunity um, to make a difference. We'll give you a little gift to say thanks for coming, but then we'll make a gift on your behalf um, to let people know uh, in the urban core that we care and we're trying to make a difference. If you need spiritual care today, at the end of the service, after we sing our last song, um, a team of people will be down here in gray shirts, some of our ministry team. Just let us know. We'd love to pray for you. Love to answer any questions you might have. And as you leave today, little, little business cards will be at the Connection Center that just say grand opening. Take some of these. Invite your friends, invite your family members, invite your co-workers to church next Sunday. Um, And as we open this building officially to our community, um, let's help our community know who Jesus is by allowing them to be a part of what we're doing. So grab some of these before we go. Our ministry team's gonna come out. We're gonna sing just real quick, just a chorus. We're gonna remind ourselves who Jesus is, that he's powerful, that he's above it all, that we believe in him, that he does miracles, that he does the impossible. We're gonna sing it. We're gonna try to believe it. We're going to lean in spiritually and then we're going to pray and we're going to go and hope you have a great week. So let's stand real quick. God, we believe in you. We do. We believe you do the impossible. We believe you do miracles. We believe you did it. We need you to do it again. So we pray that you'll do it. And Lord, we pray it in Jesus name. Amen.